interviewed a bunch of regulators and uh, attorneys, and I think has a really interesting take on it. So those those are the kinds of talks we present in the podcast. Um, basically, what the podcast is is just a recording of our monthly colloquium series, which brings a series of different speakers to campus. You know, sometimes it's more academic type people, other times it's authors. We've got Bill Zender who wrote Casinoology coming in next month. So, it, you know, it's just a chance for me to bring in a mix of people to campus and let people have a platform to talk about the gaming industry. Um, so if, if anybody's interested in hearing that, you can check it out through the university website, gaming.unlv.edu. Cool. I will post a link also. Um, and, I, you know, I can say confidently that anybody that enjoys this show would enjoy, uh, would enjoy that, and uh, I'm sure whatever is to come. So I would recommend that um, anybody here go and subscribe. And like I said, I'll, I'll post a link so that it's nice and easy, and you can grab it. So cool. Thanks for doing that, David. It was, it's, uh, it's fun. I'm glad that there's more good stuff out there. And I, 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 would, I would concur. I listened, and I would say that anyone who's worried that it's uh, – really really academic it's i think it's uh, very approachable and uh interesting to folks who just have a uh um a, an appreciation for all things las vegas and especially its history so yeah it was great and uh, good job dave thanks cool all right well um to start off today um uh, i think i want to start in atlantic city um in the great state of new jersey uh dave you were actually there recently uh, I just wanted to um, talk a little bit about the news that's coming out of the city, and, and if you wouldn't mind, give us a little bit of an idea of how the trip was, your general impressions, um, you know, since since we don't get out there as often as maybe Las Vegas. And how did it feel? Busy, not busy? Um, could you, can you feel the effect of the economy on the city like you can in Las Vegas? I'd just be curious to get your general take. And then, you know, there's also the news that Penn National has – uh, decided not to build on their site, um, which they had an option for. And so clearly, you know, some of the same kind of stories that we're hearing out of Las Vegas are also coming out of the city. What was it like when you were there? Uh, what were your observations? Well, I think basically Atlantic City is like Las Vegas, but on a much smaller scale, uh, which is funny because the revenues are actually pretty close. And on a casino-by-casino casino basis, on a per capita basis, the casinos make more revenue than, than the Vegas casinos do for the most part, you know, besides the really big hitters like Bellagio, you know, it was a little bit slower than usual, but that's also because it's the winter, so it tends to be slower there. Um, January is not usually a great month for the casinos, um, but basically you see a lot of kind of de-escalation, I guess you would say. Um, the Claridge, which used to be its own casino, is, ne is now is part of the Bally's kind of mega lift in the middle of the boardwalk is slowly being de-casinofied. So they're slowly taking out sections of the casino. It used to be a three-story casino. Now it's a one-story casino. And I was in there the time, not last time, but the time before there, so a couple of months ago. And it was really ghostly being in the Claridge and there's nothing happening. There's stuff on one floor of the casino and then you just kind of wander down and you can't go down because there's no escalator and it's really weird. Um, so basically, like this old 1929 hotel that they've taken out most of the slot machines, so now it's just mostly back to being an old old hotel. You know, and one of the things that you know, I think a lot of people go to Las Vegas and they feed off of the um, the energy of people of being there and playing and having a good time. And I assume the same is true for Atlantic City, even though I've been there far less frequently. I mean, as, as we see a sort of deceleration, it's and that sort of slows down. How how big of the danger is it? 
that you know this people will start sort of feeling the sort of fun vibe that people are attracted to for. I mean, did you get the sense that it was just uh, feeling even more sleep, really excessively sleepy? No, it wasn't that bad because you know again, they're luckily they had a casino close three years ago now. So that t- takes away some of the, the supply. Also, what they've done at Bally's is, is they've closed most of the Claridge and they've closed parts of the Wild West Casino, so they're kind of s- concentrating on what they have in the center there in the old Bally's Park place. You know, I think the places like Borgata are really gonna are really jumping still, no matter what. There's a lot of people there. Harris with the expansion has a lot of people there. There are pool expansion and spa. Um, the Taj with their expansion is doing okay, but you know a lot of the other places are not doing that well and don't have very good prospects for the future because when this Revel casino is finally finished, that's going to be more competition. And the Pennsylvania casinos are slot parlors are really going to, really going to start killing them. And this maybe it is, maybe it isn't smoking ban issue I think is going to is going to hurt them too. As far as projects in Atlantic City. Um, you'll have to remind me what's under construction and what is planned. I know that there's been a couple high-profile cancellations. Yeah. Uh, so what what is actually under construction and what's uh, on the near-term horizon for starting or theoretically breaking ground? Well, there's one thing that's actually under construction, and that is the Revel project that slowed down their construction. This is on Chuck's um, AC Tripping website. They fired about 400 of the construction workers who were finishing the inside of it. So they're basically doing what they're doing at the Augustus Tower. It's Caesars for the whole casino where they're going to finish the outside and then slowly finish the inside, which I guess is better than pulling the plug completely. Um, but they're so far on the project, you've got to wonder how they could do that. So that is happening. That's north of the showboat. So in that little cluster, it'll be that showboat, Taj, and resorts. And that is actually going to be a pretty cool thing when it does happen. Um, what had been planned was this Gateway Atlantic City project, which has been scrapped indefinitely. That would have been near and including the site of my old high school at Albany and Avenue and the Boardwalk. The um, MGM Grand Atlantic City, which would have been this $5 billion development, that has been indefinitely postponed. And Chuck, is there anything else that's been postponed lately? I can't remember. Well, the uh, the sands. Oh, yeah, the Pinnacle. How could I forget? The, <laughs> the, the casino project about nothing. So, yeah, that – well, they've got a big pile of dirt there that's still there, so that that's good. And it's just – it's ironic because these people were the people arguing that the surrounding businesses were urban blight, and they right. had to – you know, they had to um, use eminent domain to get those businesses because it was blighting the community, and they just have this huge lot. So, yeah, so you've got that that's not happening either. So it doesn't look that good. They really have to have some kind of creative response to the challenge of um, Pennsylvania casinos, just like in Vegas, they needed a creative response to the challenge of um, Indian casinos in California after 2000. So they really need that, and they're kind of getting it. But you know, I don't know if I don't know if the other companies can afford to to go that way. And I think there's also even far, farther further down the road, the uh, Bader Field bids have been uh, delayed uh, because uh, it looks like there, there was not going to be any uh, satisfactory bids. It's just a bad time to be asking people for money. But down the road, Bader Field, I think most folks feel will end up being a uh, at least one, probably a couple um, big casino sites. Yeah, the pro- one of the big problems in Atlantic City is that it's not Las Vegas. 
So if somebody wanted to build a huge casino development, you know, let's say around where M is, so down at St. Rose and uh, the Boulevard, it would happen. You know, if they had the money, if they came in with $10 billion to build it, it would happen. Whereas if somebody came in with $10 billion to Atlantic City and said, we want to build something in Baderfield, I think it's still maybe an even money bet that it wouldn't happen because of the politics of the area. It's a very small town. And I don't, I think that the, the, um, I think that the system is really geared more towards benefiting the people that are already in place as opposed to bringing in new people. You know, you looked at what happened when Wynn was talking about maybe building there, and Pinnacle, before they even put a shovel in the ground, said, well, if he does that, we're not going to build because we can't take the competition. So right. that, there's a lot of that around there. I mean, keep in mind, Donald Trump was fighting the Borgata for about 10 years trying to keep them, prevent them from building that. Right. So this is not a town that welcomes competition the way the Strip does. Now, as far as recovery, now let's assume someday things start to get better. Do you think? Do you guys think that Las Vegas and Atlantic City will recover on the same trajectory, or are they different enough that, um, in a sort of hypothetical recovery, that one would require different things to transpire for them to get past this? I think they're different markets. I think that you know the the chief difference is that Las Vegas is surrounded by hundreds of miles of desert in every direction. Um, Atlantic City is surrounded by um, tough competition, um, including you know now it's also surrounded by some of the most uh, dense, densely populated turf in the United States. So there's some good and some bad. Um, as as it exists, and particularly as it existed pre-Borgata, um, Atlantic City's uh, goose was probably cooked by its competition. Um, I think that long run, Atlantic City, even more than Las Vegas, needs um, new and uh, um, expensive development to differentiate itself from the kind of slot barns that uh, are going up um, in Pennsylvania and probably soon in Maryland and uh, already are there in Delaware. Um, you know, Connecticut already has some Las Vegas-style casinos, but um, they're far enough away so that Atlantic City could, could do okay with that competition. But I think that um, Atlantic City isn't different enough in its different amenities. Um, it really hasn't provided the, you know, the shopping, the spas, the shows, the uh, wide variety and number of hotel rooms, the convention space, um, the kind of things that would bring folks to town for more than um, a bus trip. Um, they, you know, they really need the kind of people who come in for a couple days, and that's just not the pattern. Um, in the Northeast. Um, so that needs to change for them to really break out of this uh, sort of downward cycle that they're in. I think that new properties are always a plus or generally a plus, but um, I think they're, they um, have a more difficult rebound. Las Vegas um, it's you know probably more of a capacity thing. Um, you know there is a lot of big capacity coming online, some constraints on uh, travel into the market with the airline industry shrinking, and uh, certainly the economy uh, hurting people's ability to do it now. But with an economic rebound, um, I think Las Vegas is reasonably well positioned to 
um, you know, return to its uh, robust revenue streams um, uh, much faster, I think, than than Atlantic City probably would be. So I, I I kind of feel like Atlantic City right now is almost in, in a similar sort of position as Macau. Uh, you've got if you you equate the stuff that's on the boardwalk there to like the old Ho casinos and uh, the things up in the uh, you know by Borgata and whatnot is being the Kotai area because there is sort of you know more space. There's other projects that are sort of being talked about to go on up there, the Penn National uh, one, which is a little further up the ace, and uh, the, the Pagano Real Estate Company bought the lot of land right to the, uh, to the west of Borgata and south of it also. So there's like a whole big cluster of land in there uh, that, that is really ripe for, for being built. And you have the, the Bader Field thing too. And now the Macau analogy is – Similar, they're similar in the fact that they're both kind of theater to day tripper, uh, overnight maybe, uh, you know, 1.6 day average stairs, 1.06 day average stairs, and this is sort of what the, the Venetian. And if you uh, read read some of uh, their their uh, their earnings release, you know, is how they're getting people to to stay for a little bit longer period of time and they're getting more visitors, you know, they're not used to the, to uh, this kind of traffic, you know, and, and people are, you can see in, in the numbers one up, that there's more people who are actually doing like tourism and stuff. They're staying for a little bit longer time and they're kind of looking around and doing a little bit more sightseeing. So, uh, you know, once they, they build a, a true integrated, larger integrated resort and not just Borgata. Obviously, Borgata's doing that and that's it's pounding, but once they actually get in there, I think the rebel thing is going to change things a lot. Uh, the, the party atmosphere and the fact it's so integrated with the water, you know, it's not separated from the ocean so much, you know, and they have rooftop pools and whatnot. It seems like it really understands the, the uh, environment around it. Once the you know that opens up. I think that's going to sort of start to knock some dominoes on on the boardwalk. You know, people see, hey, you know what, this is going on up there. We're going to have to redo the show boat, redo etc. All the way down the street. So, well, I hope you're right. I, I, um, you know, some of these projects that haven't happened. For instance, the Pinnacle Project. Um, I have a book of designs by Todd Lanahan, who did a bunch of designs for Encore. And he has a design book of his work, and he was they, they were hired to do interiors for the Pinnacle Project, which is as yet unbuilt. And some of the photos of the of the um, potential interiors looked amazing. I mean, if if they had built that project, it would have been something to see. And you know, I would definitely put Borgata in that category. But uh, you know, for the sake of Atlantic City, um, hopefully Revel is as well, and and it will be open and be exciting, and people will be uh, excited to see it. But, um, you know, we'll have to see how it goes. It's clearly, you know, n- the story there is uh, <clears throat> not all a positive one, just like it is in Las Vegas, which is where I want to go next. And, um, you know, there's there seems like there's bad economic news all the time. Um, and I, I don't want to beat every detail into the ground, but just to give a quick little update, and since the last time we did a show, I think – we had the announcement of station casinos and their you know bankruptcy issues um when, La- when Las Vegas announced that they're going to be reducing some employees' hours and reducing salaries 
in what they're calling an, an efficiency program to try to uh, avoid layoffs. Um, Las Vegas Stands reported their quarter four results yesterday, and uh, you know they they swung to a loss for the quarter. Uh, actually, their occupancy numbers weren't quite as low as I was expecting. They were still in the mid 90s. Um, which was, I was expecting it to be worse based on some of the doom and gloom. So that's actually a, a good thing. And and then there's a sort of funny issue with, with these conventions that keep getting canceled in Las Vegas where all of a sudden the public seems to think uh, Las Vegas is, um, I guess, not deserving of indirect or direct stimulus. Um, Dave, you wrote about this in a sort of a funny a funny story on your blog. Um do you want to explain what you wrote and uh, and your and your uh, your position? Yeah, sure. Basically, it seems like they're trying to sort of insulate Las Vegas from any of the of the stimulus and all that. And you know, for you know, it's one thing to say oh, we're going to benefit. You know, if they just came out and said, okay, okay, we're going to benefit these ten industries because they're the most politically powerful industries in the country, and we're doing what we got elected to do, that's one thing. But it's kind of funny to hide behind this puritanical mask and say, oh, we are not going to let people go to Las Vegas with stimulus money, you know, God forbid. It's really, you know, as everyone listening to the show probably knows, Las Vegas is a city like any other city. It's got an economy like any other economy. The economy is based on providing a place where people can travel for fun or for business. And, you know, to me, that's the end of the story. And, we, you know, I remember several years ago when – Former President Clinton came to town. He gave this stirring speech at the Thomas and Mack Center about how the future of the world was globalism and people coming from all around the world and the service economy and how what we did in Las Vegas was the pinnacle of that. And we were kind of the the shock troops of the 21st century global economy and how awesome we were. So it's kind of funny to have him say that and then, you know, other presidents say, we don't want to send people to Vegas. So that's 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 where I come down on it. Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with you. I, I just, you know, the the concept that, like, it maybe if Las Vegas was in a foreign country, I could completely understand the position. But, you know, it's part of the, uh, this last time I checked, it's part of the United <laughs> States. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a city that's maybe hurting more than a lot of others. I don't. I think I don't know what the figures are off the top of my head, but if I'm not mistaken, the Nevada unemployment rate is high, is trending higher than a lot of other states, um, given you know that the economy's been so so hard hit there. So, you know, the, the showboating, especially when these companies aren't saving any money doing it, right? They cancel these conferences. They they pay off the hotels they were supposed to be in, and they book somewhere else. So they're paying double, basically. It's just so incredibly ridiculous. Um, not that I, you know, should be surprised by, you know, political posturing being ridiculous, but um, you know, just sort of a, in a way, if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny because because be, it's just ridiculous. I think that the convention business in Las Vegas um, is obviously serious business here in town, but one problem for that business is separating it from. You know, the same authority that runs conventions also markets the city and markets its uh, its vice. And for the rest of America, um, it is a it's a message that you know it's it it, it doesn't square with um, the government the government dole. And you know, one one thing I would say is that sure we shouldn't be singled out as places that companies who that that companies shouldn't spend their 
as a place where companies shouldn't spend uh, federal stimulus money. But I think that's, you know, the, the, the real problem is that federal stimulus money, all the companies that accept it, they need to really, really be careful about all the things they're spending on. I mean, people, you know, whether they're going to a spa in California or, you know, going to the Super Bowl in Arizona, coming to Las Vegas. I mean, it, it, you know, there are there are plenty of folks in the media, plenty of watchdog politicians who are eager to say gotcha to these companies. And, uh, you know, it's not good for Las Vegas, but it's an easy, you know, it's an easy story, an easy uh, gotcha to say, hey, you know, this company that's getting, you know, millions or billions from the government is spending, you know, X dollars at, you know, Mandalay Bay or Encore or wherever. And I think that for, um, you know, middle America, that seems like a frivolous use of taxpayer dollars. And, you know, I mean, we can, you know, we may know better um, in terms of how serious and how um, professional our convention business is, but, um, you know, there's really no getting around what the image of Las Vegas is around the around the country. And so, I mean, you know, I think that, you know, I'm not positive. I get, you know, I think that the folks who have been making the biggest noise, like our mayor, um, they have, they belong to the all news is good news, you know, sort of get the name out there, get the city's name in the news. It's all right. good. I'm not positive that's the case here. I think that, you know, you do have, you do run the da- danger of starting some kind of a witch hunt and scaring regular companies that aren't on bailout or even individuals who, you know, may have begun to think of Las Vegas as sort of a mainstream destination. All of a sudden now it has some kind of scarlet letter. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm not positive that the city should be making as big of a deal out of, you know, the, a few comments from the president or um, in Congress. So, you know, I'm not really, I, I don't really have a position one way or the other. I do defend our convention business, but I sort of understand how middle Americans might um, object to what they might see as wasteful spending of bailout dollars, whether it's here or anywhere else. And I can understand that. No, I, I'm with you on, on terms of people's understanding. My my, the other people that do know better though, oftentimes are the media who like to perpetuate some of these stories because I guess you know they uh, equal viewers. But to get back to two of the other things that I mentioned in that lead up, um, what two of the things I wanted to touch on before we move on are are station specifically. So maybe and maybe Jeff, you're a good person to ask about this. Have you looked at um, any of the material surrounding? I did. I mean, there. They're trying to cram this deal down their uh, down their uh, bondholders' throats. Um, based on what I can tell, they probably already uh, have a deal with the senior bondholders, who will make out, you know, sort of losing half of the value, or you know, depending upon when they bought it, much less than half the value if they bought it after the, you know, the prices uh, fell, um, at the expense of the. Uh, the subordinate bondholders who get you know ten percent or less of face value, um, so 
it, but it, you know, it's <laughs> I, I've had some you know not, you know sort of amusing discussions around here about bankruptcy and and companies. You know, people sort of have a uh, there is still a stigma associated with personal bankruptcy and uh, wiping away personal debt, but um, you know, companies don't share that stigma, and uh, I think people sometimes are surprised by that. But this is an example of you know a corporate entity using the bankruptcy laws that exist to uh, sort of, uh, you know, walk away from, you know, money that they legitimately borrowed. I mean, the part of the, the, part of the story that I sort of was most abu- amused by is how they borrowed, like they, they actually took like the last quarter billion dollars of their revolving credit account. You know, they, they emptied that so that they have a whole bunch of cash on hand, okay. some of which they'll use along with some money from the Fertitas and I presume from the colony folks to uh, pay for the restructured debt, if these bondholders will approve it, but um, you know this is not some. This is something that is, in terms of the way Las Vegas operates, um, it may scare off future bondholders and you know debtors of gaming companies. But in terms of you know the way their pro- their properties are operated. Um, I don't think it makes much of a difference in terms of employees. It doesn't make much of a difference. Um, but, it, you know, it's certainly a, uh, you know, if you're a bondholder, you can't be real happy about it. At least a subordinate bondholder, you can't be real happy about it. So the way that this is – oh, go ahead. Yeah, can we assume that Viva is <laughs> no longer La Vida? <laughs> I, I can't. I can't imagine that they're going to be vivaing anytime soon. You know, I mean, all that stuff. I mean, it's you know, they are not. I mean, this is such a bad market to be selling um, property. They'll they'll end up holding that property, and you know, I mean, yeah, all develop the entire development cycle in the in the valley has slowed down, whether it's, you know, City Center North, the Kersner, MGM, Dubai project opposite the Sahara, whether it's the Sahara itself. I mean, all kinds of projects that, you know, are just are just really slowed down, and Viva will be, will is one of them, but, you know, the fact remains, they've assembled a very giant chunk of uh, the, of the, um, City just opposite um, I-15 and um, Dean Martin Drive, and that that big chunk of land would make for a pretty attractive, uh, bigger you know probably bigger um, if I'm not mistaken than the chunk that Harris put together on the east side of the Strip. So yeah, it won't be developed as fast as they had hoped, but I bet it's gonna you know eventually um, it'll be developed. The, well, I'm sure that, I'm sure that you're right. Didn't they also buy up a bunch of land around Palace Station? At one point? They did. They bought that. They bought land extending south um, from Palace Station, along with that uh, miniature golf course. Was there's a bunch of you know sort of dilapidated uh, you know underutilized uh, property, and they you know that was also going to be a you know master planned redevelopment um that would have included um upgrades to Palace Station um and you know that's uh if the if the other one's on the back burner this one's you know sitting on top of the microwave <laughs> <laughs> um to swing back then to Las Vegas Sands who did announce yesterday 
um, you know, it's it's hard not to notice now that the company makes two thirds or maybe three quarters of its income outside of Las Vegas. So you should call it like Southeast Asia Sands or something. Um, it, you know, the company has halted construction on some of its Kotai sites, um, but listening to the call yesterday, you know, it, it, they they sounded like. I got I got the impression just listening to the kinds of questions that were asked and the things that they were saying that uh you know they have a plan that they're going to execute on but uh you know things are far from certain as far as how these things are going to work out and it it was great to see that their occupancy rates weren't as bad as I was expecting in Las Vegas but you know this company already missed had some problems with its debt covenants how how in the red are they at this point? Are they uh, on a reasonable track? I mean, obviously, given if things continue to deteriorate, all bets are off. But uh, are, are people confident that that the company is in at least heading in the right direction at this point after sort of a rocky little period? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I know people aren't confident. <laughs> you know, I mean, are they? Do they think it's possible? Probably they do, but um, they have some big. Uh, you know, their debt restrictions keep getting tighter and tighter over the next two years by the end of this year um i think you know it gets it puts them in some danger again um now they do they have focused on the casino element in bethlehem um pennsylvania and they are also uh feverishly working to finish the uh, marina bay in singapore um you know the company i'm sure is hoping for robust results at, in those two places um here in las vegas room rates you said occupancy was up but room rates are way lower than you know the company the hotels that at least sands considers to be its peers i'm not sure that we do but uh the uh you know their room rates have dropped and uh you know it is a company that is uh you know that needs something to change. Um, the economy doesn't look like it's going to change quickly. Um, they don't have anything new coming online in Las Vegas. Um, there is new uh, new competition coming online in Las Vegas. Um, in in Macau, they, you know, they, they that's probably where they need something to improve. Um, along with those new projects, when they do open, they need them to do well. Um, but uh, certainly, no one I talk to thinks that it's a uh, it's a slam dunk for this company that things are going to get better. I also don't think that it's a slam dunk that things are going to go turn even more south than they have, um, because they do have some intriguing assets. I mean, no one knows what Singapore is going to do. Um, you know, I if if their the company's projections are right, then Las Vegas Sands is selling at a you know for a song and uh, it's way undervalued. Um, but you know we don't know that yet. Um, if Macau rebounds to uh, you know past year-over-year increase rates, then you know their Macau proper you know the Macau. Um, stuff should uh, be better and better, but the, one of the scary things when you look at when you look at their numbers, um, you know they have added significant capacity over the last couple of years, obviously in Macau and at Palazzo, and yet their numbers 
just aren't showing, aren't reflecting those increases. Um, so, you know, it's, they have all this insane capacity, and it's just dramatically underutilized. And obviously that's why they needed to cut staff in both the United States and in Macau, but um, sort of a scary situation for those folks. Yeah, it's like they, they increased everything like 100%, right? Inventory of, of casino and rooms and and uh, food and beverage, but their profits year over year in the casino were up only 16%. You know, Yeah, that's rooms. not the rate of return that they were looking for. Yeah, and rooms and food and beverage were up only 40% year over year. You know, their occupancy rate, 93.7%, that's pretty good. Uh, but it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, I, I eyeball the room rates all the time. It's kind of like a hobby of mine. And, uh, you know, when you go to their sites directly to try and book, they're usually the highest there. And they're they're quite a bit higher than than Wynn and Bellagio and Encore and whatnot for, you know, generally. But they seem to be doing a lot of, like, discounting on Priceline and other, like, bid-as-you-go places. A reader, uh, Joey, just sent me a photo of his bill. He just checked out of there, and he got room rates for 90 bucks a night, you know, at the yep. Venetian. That's pretty ridiculous, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, incidentally, um, and as, you know, as Jeff as Jeff mentioned, they, they did announce that they're going to be cutting some staff, again, sort of try and uh, trim the fat a little bit on both in both regions. Uh, a story from another reader um, that just was at Palazzo. And sometimes you worry when you hear stories about cutting staff that service levels are going to are going to suffer. Um, but uh, you know, he he was he was explaining a trip that was uh, very top notch that they really uh, went all out and took good care of him. So you know, that's a good thing to hear given everything else that you hear about uh, people trying to cut costs left and right. Uh, it, it, at least for now, they. Uh, they're still pleasing their customers, and, and like I've said a bunch of times, uh, this is a great opportunity for people to go out to Las Vegas and, and get a good deal on a hotel room and, and all that kind of good stuff. Because um, take advantage of it, right? If no one, if, if take advantage of a bad situation, I guess. What I what I don't understand is the strategy here with with how they are promoting their hotel room via setting the uh, the, the rack rate through travel retailers. Like right now, Wynn is having a practical fire sale. You know, they're just trying to get people in the door. You know, they want to get as many people in there. And, and you know, there's quite a buzz that the room rates at Encore and Wynn, you know, depending on when you go and when you book and when you look, you know, people are getting a lot of really fabulous deals to go stay at the brand-new joint. And, and it seems like the Venetian Palazzo folks are not trying to be as competitive. And well, I don't it, understand it, why... You could, I mean, I guess to you may, you know, in some, you may argue that uh, they having the rack rates at a certain at a certain level, you know, allows them to um, get that when they can, especially as a hotel that caters to business travelers quite a bit that are paying with expense accounts versus versus uh, tourists. Um, sort of a little bit different. Uh, the tourists may be able to get fill up the extra rooms through those discount retailers, but they may have an advantage in posting higher rack rates on their actual website. For, since they're very business travel oriented, much well more so than some other hotels, but uh, it is interesting to see how these guys, you know, try and price their product to to figure it out. I don't think anybody has a winning formula right now. I mean, there's empty rooms everywhere. All right. Also, in the, oh. uh, in the in the I'm sorry, uh, just moving back to the Macau thing. 
is, uh, when I was looking through that, is like they're reporting how they're having record traffic through the casino of people foot traffic. <laughs> more and more people who are coming in there. I don't know exactly how they count this, you know. Well, and you know, are these the same people who are just like coming to work every day, or what? Oh, well, <laughs> I thought I noticed that, and I just thought that was laughable because they didn't. They included included so little break breakout of their numbers, but they include this number like six million people, or I can't remember what it was, some number of people that walk through. But it's like, okay, these these are like people walking through a shopping mall. I mean, they're gawking at the place. They're not spending yeah. any money on anything. It, I mean, the percentage of those that convert to to a sale is probably incredibly low. The the, the visitors are actually gambling less, but retail is up there at, at at the Venetia Macau. And also, just in terms of related numbers, I thought it was interesting is that the fans is only doing fifty percent of what the Venetian is doing. Fans Macau. Fans Macau is you know like the size of a warehouse. You know, it's right. pretty damn. You know, it's like a really massive Home Depot. You know. Well, you know, compared to like the 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 Venetian, which is like, you know, you, the casino is so big you can see the curvature of the earth. You know, the uh, it was also funny to notice in the call they referred to the location of the sands. I think as something like superior or basically implying that that was the place to be, which of course you know makes perfect sense, right? Because that's where all the rest of the casinos are pretty much. But as not, as the company that's been championing Kotai is like, you know the be-all, end-all, uh, it's clear that they're glad that they have a peninsula property. <laughs> right next to the ferry terminal, too, right? Right. You'd think that they were a ferry company from the amount of uh, time they spent talking about their Kotai jet operations. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're going to swing to an, another fun little topic, which is the everyone's favorite Las Vegas hotel casino, the Tropicana. Um, this is a story that's actually a little bit old now, but we haven't had a show since, and I just thought it was funny. Um, they put out a press release maybe oh, 10 days ago um, stating that their intent to sort of rebrand the property uh, with a value focus um, for uh, to attract you know value-oriented consumers. Um, huh, okay. I saw that story. And I, I couldn't really help but laugh because, you know, especially at a time like now, right, when they're when this is like deal central time. No, granted, uh, I'm sure that they have to pay you to stay in their rooms. They'd have <laughs> to pay you to eat their meals and they'd have to guarantee blackjacks on every hand. Pretty I, mean, much. I mean, you know, how can I mean, when you have hotels in prim letting people stay for free, um, you know, I, I, I went around the Tropicana um, last weekend. That It is not a handsome property. <laughs> um, you know, particularly like the old, the casino level, it has sort of like Coney Island, you know, funky, wooden, weird color paint on on it it's you know on the on the exterior the inside is still not clean it is not a it is not a good looking property they don't have you know they've had their shows canceled or stolen um it, you know, I, I just, I, you know, they if there could, and, and you hit the nail on the head, Hunter, how could they pick a, they couldn't pick a worse time to try and sell the value proposition. Okay. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they could come up with like a haunted house theme <laughs> or, you know, some kind of, some kind of, you know, out, out there, 
um, marketing pitch, but it's just so tough to sell value when you already have great properties that are dramatically cutting prices. Well, and the story, I think the last remodel story about the TROP was that they plan to bring customers in by, like, installing a food court or something like that. I mean, this was a couple months ago. But, I mean, to me, it just shows this total, like, out-to-lunch mentality to some degree. Now, I realize that they don't have the greatest assets to work with here. But, I mean, in a food court, look across the street. New York, New York has a food court. MGM Mirage, I mean, MGM Grand I mean, you know, has sort of a higher-priced food court, but they have fast food in their their walkway uh, retail area. You know, Excalibur, I mean, you know, I just, you know, they can't be they can't be better than any of their neighbors. I mean, I guess they could, like, spend a little bit of money and say, you know, we have, we're a little bigger than Hooters, but... But you know it's 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 a tough sell. I mean, when you look at their you know their competition right now, it's the Riviera, it's the Stratosphere. I mean, they're below Excalibur. I guess I guess okay. Let's throw Circus Circus into the mix. But you know, Circus Circus has at least spent some money redoing some of its rooms. Um, you know, they just don't have the money to work with to actually accomplish the value proposition. Um, at least if you spend, you know, the company that's doing the marketing for Tropicana is the company that did uh, Starbucks, um, you know, p- uh public relations or I'm your marketing and you know it may be expensive coffee but at least people know what they're going to get I'm not sure when you check into a room at Tropicana that you do know what you're going to get um, you know I, I doubt that it's going to be recently replaced you know mattresses and linens and carpeting as a matter of fact I would venture to say that it probably is going to you know smell bad and you know, it's just it's just inexplicable that they're going to spend their money on marketing instead of like scraping every dime together they can and clean the place up. Yeah, it is well, truly a disgusting joint. Go ahead, Dave. Hey, um, well, what Jeff said kind of reminded me of something. You know how when a dream kind of comes back to you? I think last <laughs> night I had a dream about a vampire-themed casino, the haunted house <laughs> casino thing. Like, whoa, and I don't know whether now I'm thinking, well, was that real or did I dream it? But um, and that, it was as awful as you could imagine the dream is it would be if they build it in real life. Here's what I think. Well, I think – this is really what's wrong with America, if I can put all that on the shoulders of the top account. <laughs> what they should do, if they really want to promote this value destination, is spend some money, spruce it up. I would assume that they still have some kind of consumer data, customer database. Send letters out to their top customers saying, look, we have put in new beds, we've done blah, blah, blah. We still have low prices. Why don't you come in here and we think you're going to love it? And, we, you know, we have and actually do stuff to increase the value of the place, invite their customers in, and then let them spread the word of mouth, as opposed to hiring some, you know, marketing firm to come in and then just tell people what a great value it is. You know, I think you have to build the value. At least that's my take. I think think you're exactly right. They should probably work harder at actually running the casino better, improving their employee morale, and, you know, delivering a better product. I mean, they're, they're in a great... They've got a great location geographically, and they're in the middle of, you know, the corporate casino central. They could say, look, we're one property, you know, hi, my name's whatever, I'm the president of the Tropicana, this is our one property on the Strip, and we're going to give you the best service you can get anywhere. 
here. You know, we're not going to have the fanciest meals, but you're going to have somebody smile at you and say hello. They could do that, you know, and yeah, is the marketing thing good? You know, yeah, you've got a wrapped package, but you need a package there. You can't, you know, wrap up, you know, an Atari 2600 and tell people it's an Xbox 360 <laughs> and not expect them to be mad when they open it up. <laughs> well put. <laughs> I like that. I, I'm gonna. I'm, I may start referring to the top as the 2600 because I, I really like that analogy. Uh, man, I mean, I yes, I agree with everything that everybody said. I mean, that I just I couldn't help but laugh when I read the story. I just it just to me showed how how backwards the thinking is. And when when you have a line in the story talking about a bounty for live bed bugs being found in the hotel, I mean, please. That should be uh, priority number one, not uh, trying to fool people into coming to your hotel. It's just, um, I don't know, it's just laughable. But at least I got uh, at least I got some entertainment value out of it. All right, uh, last thing I want to talk about real quick: um, Project City Center opening uh, in stages, but uh, you know, basically the end of this year. Um, well, well publicized at this point that the uh, Harmon Tower condo component has been canceled. And uh, the tower that was going to be 48, 48-odd stories, I think, something like that, has been slashed to about half its height. Um, and there was a very interesting story in The Sun. Well, there was basically a, a couple of stories. Uh, first, first, the news that uh, the county is going to require them to sort of recheck the, uh, the constructions to make sure that uh, since the same inspection firm worked the entire project, to make sure that uh, there weren't other – errors that need to be corrected or, or whatnot, what have you. Um, but then an interesting story followed the next day uh, about what the tower is going to look like when uh, when it's done and how it's basically uh, sort of <clears throat> hurts the overall aesthetic of the project. Um, you know, of course, MGM Mirage disagreed with that notion. Um, they seem to uh, they seem to think it's going to be fine. But the graphic that was the graphic that was included. Um, really showed that how different it will look um, from the original plan, and I, you know, not to not to mention the, um, I'm sure that the original architect who <clears throat> is is not all that thrilled about his project being sliced in half. Um, you know, anybody does anybody think that this is? I mean, obviously that's a big deal in terms of the overall project, but I, I can't imagine it hurting city center, but. You know, it's it's just such a shame. I, I and I don't know if there's really a question there, but it's just a shame that it, that it happened this way. Uh, and you know, at least for me, one of the more interesting buildings in in architecturally in the in the project is going to look like a mini me version next next to all the other huge buildings. Um, you know, I don't know, I, Dave. I think uh, you you even mentioned this on your on your blog at one point, maybe in a comment on my blog. But um, you know, it's just too bad, and I, I guess there's really nothing that they can do about it at this point. You know, given the way that things came out. But uh, I don't know. Like I said, I don't really have a question. But uh, it's just it's just too bad to see the way that it worked out. And well, I, I've got some thoughts there, Hunter. Yeah. If it was, I I find it a little bit disingenuous the notion that well, this is just an aesthetic choice. You know, like they're changing the color of the paint on the outside of the building, and well, we thought it was going to be blue, but now it's going to be green, and it's you know six one way, half a dozen the other. When City Center was announced there, and as City Centers develop, part of the excitement of the project is the fact that it was really meticulously planned, and they had the massing study of where to locate everything and how to balance the project. So I would think that 
chopping one of the big elements and you know really one of the marquee elements right at there at, at the front of the strip is going to mess up that that massing and that balancing and that whole kind of the equation they had there so i think that would you know that's really going to be the detriment of the project um uh, i think really it's the kind of thing that i would have second thoughts about going ahead with it if it's only going to be half the height or so of what it was you know it the question becomes well what would you have to do to remediate it to get it to be that height so it looks like it's supposed to look and you know what would you have to do to get it to be city center that you wanted would the worst thing to do right now be just to implode that and then when the economy picks up and you need an extra 400 rooms or a thousand rooms build it as it should have been built and in the meantime don't let it you know don't build it half the height it is just because it's cheaper to do now yeah I don't know. Maybe they need to get Perini to pay for it. I mean, I, I assume that once this place opens, there's going to be a huge, huge amount of lawsuits filed in this situation. I mean, uh, to me, it's just such a massive, massive mistake. And they've sort of tried to play it down, I think, for PR value to make, oh, it's fine, no big deal. But, uh, you know, I, I can't believe anybody really believes that. I mean, it, it uh, it's a huge, huge error. And, um, you know, maybe they're not on the hook for the condos anymore, but uh, – it's not like like you said it's not it's not like this was part of the plan i mean this is a huge this is forced on them by circumstances and uh yeah that happens but uh it's a pretty huge mistake and uh you know not not that there there may be no other significant problems with the project but if there are man i don't even want to know what's going to happen i mean that could be really terrible yeah it's just i feel like we, you know i Definitely, I was one of the people who bought into the hype of, wow, this is going to be so neat. So I feel that them saying, well, the fact that, you know, one of the buildings is only going to be half as big as it should have been, it's not such a big deal. It's like, well, should I have been this excited for it in the first place then? If, yeah. You know, <laughs> that's just my feeling. No, I, I totally get you. totally understand what you're saying. All right, guys. I think that's going to do it for today. Um, I want to thank you all for being here. Uh, I think I got an offer from uh, – from a frequent blog contributor, uh, Drum Bowie Man, uh, who who just returned from Macau to be on a future uh, episode of the show. So I think we might have him on. We can pick his brain a little bit. He he goes there fairly frequently, and it'd be nice to get some insight as to uh, what's going on there from him. Uh, so we may have him have him on a future show here pretty soon, uh, and uh, <clears throat> also been talking about getting a couple of other guests for us to uh, us us to abuse here in the coming weeks. So. We'll see how that all plays out. Uh, I want to thank everybody for being here. I'm going to go around the table, and you guys can tell people where they can find you. And Jeff Simpson, we'll start with you. Where can people track you down? InBusinessLasVegas.com. All right. And Mr. Dave Schwartz, where can people find you? Um, DieIsCast.com and Gaming.UNLV.edu. Excellent. And uh, Mr. Chuck S. Monster, where can people track you down? You can find me at VegasStripping.com. All right, that was VegasTripping.com. You were a little uh, fading out there, but I'll make sure I get that in there for you. Uh, you guys can find me at RateVegas.com. I want to thank everyone. Have a fantastic weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. 